0: one of the commonly asked questions right now in the body of christ especially since the what what some people call the grace movement started is can a christian lose his salvation and there are many different kinds of responses there are many many different kinds of responses uh the grace message is not new charles (laughs) porgeon was you know he he taught a lot on grace uh, Joseph Prince is not necessarily the the father of the grace message. Probably he's the he's the one that started pushing it really hard in this generation. And then there are people like Andrew Womack and uh, Creflo Dollar that also push the grace message very hard. So it's not it's not a it's not a Joseph Prince thing. It's actually a Bible thing. The the grace message has been there. People like Kenneth Hagin taught it, but not. Not, not, not in this brand as Grace Message. People like Kenneth Hagin taught it more like the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, people like Pastor Chris also have been teaching it as righteousness. Uh, people like uh, E.W. Kenyon have taught it. People like Kenneth Copeland have taught it as righteousness. Okay, so the Grace Message is really not new. It is, uh, it is just like the righteousness of God rebranded, sort of you know but we're gonna we're gonna be looking at this particular aspect today next week we are going to be looking at grace and truth and we're gonna of course i'm gonna give a very by the help of the holy spirit give a good foundation today that we can build on next week so before we look into the the question of Of uh, can can a Christian lose his salvation? First of all I'd like us to just establish what it means to be born again what does it mean to be born again what does it mean to be saved because uh, you know, I I don't know how many of us were here when we talked about cultural Christianity, I don't know how many of us listened to the recording if you did not, uh, if you were not in that Bible study or you didn't listen to the recording, you can ask and I'll send it to you and in that teaching, we basically looked at how a lot of persons are just cultural Christians. Uh, they, they don't have a relationship. They don't have a personal encounter with God. It's the same for most other religions. Most Muslims are cultural Muslims. They are in Islam because they were born there. They grew around Muslims. That's all they know. They don't know any other worldview. And uh, the the way Islam is, is they doggedly protect their people from being exposed to any other worldview because they know once they are exposed to any other worldview, there's a possibility that doubts about Islam will begin to come into their hearts. So the majority of Muslims that you see out there are actually just cultural Muslims. They don't even know enough about their religion or their book or their prophet. And the same thing with Christians. Most Christians out there are cultural Christians. We know about the church, we know about our pastors, but we don't know enough about about christ we don't know enough about i mean we, we can never know everything about christ all right but there's a bare there's a bare minimum all right but the average christian doesn't know anything about christ doesn't know anything about the bible doesn't even know anything about the history of christianity or what it means to be a christian okay but the point is this there are many people in church zealous you know for for the church Uh, zealous for i don't know i I really don't know it's more like a traditional thing it's more like a cultural thing so they are more or less trying to protect the traditions and the systems and the culture that they grew grew up around but when we talk about christianity there are not many christians out there when you go online and you see things that supposed christians are saying to people that they perceive to be uh to be uh maybe saying something against their pastor against their religion or against the bible you know it's like all hell just breaks loose and they are cursing the people and telling them you burn in hell forever and telling them you die telling them this telling them that you know uh that is not godly that is not godly so we, we, we are going to look at first of all what it means to be born again now let us start from a very basic scripture that i believe every christian knows and every christian should know uh, in fact muslims know it atheists know it it's like the scripture in the bible that everybody even non-christians can quote john chapter 3 and verse 16 it is the most popular verse in the bible but it is still one of the most powerful verses in the bible John chapter 3 verse 16 says for God so loved the world now take note the love that God had was not for the church the love that God has is for the world the world the bible says in in first john chapter 2 that jesus christ is our advocate and he was made a propitiation for our sins not for our sins alone but for the sins of the whole world so jesus did not die for the church jesus died for the world so nobody owns jesus we need to stop acting like we are christians so jesus belongs to us you know that's 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 the vibe I get from from the average Christian. I don't talk about uh, Jesus we are Christians Jesus belongs to us. Jesus yes belongs to us but he belongs to everybody. And if people want to make cartoons about Jesus they should go ahead. If people want to insult Jesus they should go ahead. It's not in our place to defend Jesus. There's no place in the Bible that Christians are told to defend Christ. By, by, you know, physically doing stuff. The Bible tells us to defend our hope in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But it says we should do it with respect and humility. Okay? So, um, so we, we don't need to fight for Jesus. We don't, need to, we don't need to do any of that stuff. Okay? So, Jesus does not belong... Jesus does not belong to the church. Jesus does not belong to Christians. Jesus is global property. Everybody has equal right to the person of jesus and to the name of jesus and they can say and do whatever they want it's between jesus has a personal relationship with everybody so it's between them and him it's not in our place to say ah el rufai insulted jesus that it's 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 stupid to be honest you know it's it's stupid let's allow the muslims to do that ah you insulted our prophet let let them do that but okay you insulted jesus okay get on with it It doesn't make Jesus any less. It doesn't, uh, for God's sake, why are people, why do people keep ranting about it? Anyway, let's continue. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus came for the world. He didn't come for the church. He didn't come for, for Christianity. He came for the world. It's important we always remember this. But the key word here is whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So primarily what makes the difference between the person that will perish and the person that will have everlasting life, primarily its belief? I know in Mark chapter 16 uh, from verse 19, it says, Whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whosoever believeth not shall be damned. Okay. And then in Romans chapter 10, which we are going to read right now, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. let Let's turn to Romans chapter 10 from verse 9. it says that if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation so in the book of mark we have the embellishment of baptism and here in the book of romans paul is telling us that confession you know has to go with it and because of this scripture people have asked me a few times Uh, you know how important is confession and i say it is important for the sake of declaration just the same way baptism is important for the sake of open declaration but these things are not fundamental uh, to salvation you can get saved without necessarily opening your mouth to confess why did i say so before you call me a heretic deaf and dumb people can be saved even though they can't they can't pronounce the words okay so it is possible for somebody to be saved without necessarily pronouncing those words and to confess confession is important like i said for the sake of declaration but what really counts is what happens in the heart that's believing in the heart that is what brings about righteousness and jesus was clear for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. He didn't say whosoever believes in him and is baptized should not perish. He didn't say whosoever believes and confesses that he believes should not perish. He said whosoever believes. And there were several times that Jesus told people, believe only. You believe in the Father, believe in me also. Confession is important. And we know that confession is a vital part of faith. Okay, it's a vital part of it. But what I'm trying to say is, at the end of the day, the most important thing is believing because if you get baptized and you don't believe it counts for nothing if you confess and you don't believe it also counts for nothing okay so um let's let's continue now uh in second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 the bible says that if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we know that the old things that are passed away is not the the, the natural, you know, the natural things. Like I always say, if you are short before you got born again, you remain short after you got born again. Um, your being born again doesn't change anything about you physically, except of course maybe people that are sick in their bodies, uh, things that are that are that are a byproduct of the fall when they receive salvation. The same price Jesus paid for salvation is the price that he paid for our bodily healing. So when they receive salvation, their bodies can also receive healing at the same time. Okay, so there are those exceptions. But uh, and, and then the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 that, you know, um, the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. So how do you know that you are born again? Number one, you believe in your heart. Number two, you confess with your mouth. Number three, you know because the spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. And then in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says that we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Okay, So, so you know you are born again because you believe in your heart. You know you are born again because you confessed with your mouth. You know you are born again because you have the witness of the Spirit in your heart. You know you are born again because you love the brethren. This is important. This is important. Okay. Uh, now, why, why, why was there a need for salvation? I'm saying this. We're going to get to the question later, but why was there a need for salvation in the first place? Because there were righteous people in the Old Testament. Um, Job was said to be a righteous man. There, there, were, there were many. The Bible calls them holy men of faith. Right? They were righteous people in the, under the Old Covenant. Why was there a need for salvation? Why did Christ have to come and die? Because God was already expressing Himself through people in the Old Testament. So why did Christ have to come and die? Okay. Um. In in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, said, Except a man be born again, he shall not, you know, inherit the kingdom of God. And like I, or he shall not see, rather, the kingdom of God. And like I told us in the last class, under the old covenant, even the people that were righteous, even the righteous people, when they died, they went, they went to hell. They didn't go to heaven okay jesus was clear that nobody has ascended to heaven uh in in that sense okay but uh i i know we're going to talk about uh elijah and enoch now those ones were taken up to heaven they did not ascend to heaven in their own strength like jesus did okay uh elijah elijah rather and uh, and enoch are two Mysterious people, and we do not know why God treated them the way God treated them because God basically broke, I don't know, every spiritual protocol that we know about for those two. So we really don't know what's going on between them and God. But yeah, we know Elijah was not perfect, we don't know much about Enoch, but we know Elijah also had his issues. Um, He was fearful, he wasn't perfect, but somehow God counted him worthy to. You know, I know there are other theories about Elijah, but I, I don't even want to get into that. Uh, get into that tonight. Okay, but the point is this: every other person that died went to hell. How do I know this? When uh Saul went to meet the witch and told her to bring the the spirit of Samuel to prophesy to him, she said that. I see Saul asked her what do you see she said I see a man an old man covered in a mantle ascending okay ascending from beneath the earth so he was ascending and also when you look at uh, when you look at the story of Lazarus and the rich man the bible is clear that they were in the same geographical location there was just something dividing them. Okay, they could see each other. They could even communicate. Okay, that is not heaven and hell. Uh, so where we call Abraham's bosom was a compartment in hell. They just were not tormented there, but somehow they were still held as captives. They just weren't tormented there. Um, they had it. They had it a lot easier and a lot better uh, than than the people that were in the in the tormented compartment. So you see, even the righteous people under the old covenant. Uh, somehow they needed Jesus to come for them to you know for them to be released from where they were so the coming of Jesus Christ was not just for the people that were living and the people that are living Uh, it also served a significant purpose for the people that were already dead and that died uh, righteous believing in God and believing in in the redemption of their bodies now let us look at Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter two from verse twenty five This is this is Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost. He said for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not, that I may not be shaken therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad moreover my flesh also will rest in hope now look at verse 27 acts chapter 2 it says for you will not leave my soul in hades in hell hades it's clear you will not leave my soul in hades nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption now he didn't say if he had said you will not leave my body in the grave would have said okay this is talking about just the resurrection but this is you know this is a prophecy about Jesus. Said, you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Okay? And then uh, uh, verse 29, Peter speaking for that said, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he should raise up the Christ to sit on his throne he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the christ and his soul was not left in hades nor did his flesh see corruption you see that so there is a clear distinction so even the soul of jesus went to hell and somebody will say well jesus told that guy on the cross today you will be with me in paradise that's what we are saying paradise was a part of hades it was a compartment in hades so so Even the Davids and the Abrahams and all of these people were waiting. They were waiting for the salvation for the price that jesus was going to pay so that they can get out of that place and get into the presence of god because as long as man had the sin nature man was eternally separated from god man was spiritually dead spiritual death is separation from god so even though these people in their actions were righteous the fact that they were spiritually dead meant that they cannot be in the presence of god Now let's take a look at the scripture and we'll build from here. Romans chapter 5 from verse 12. Romans 5 from verse 12. It says, therefore, it's a long read. We'll read all the way to verse 21. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So you see. Adam sinned and death spread to all men because all sinned in Adam. In other words, the justice system was seeing it as all of us being inside of Adam when Adam sinned. It says, for until the law. Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So you see, in the case of Adam, the death was automatic because we were born into it. In the case of Jesus, the life is not automatic. It has to be accepted because it's a gift. Okay? So it's important we get the the difference. And then verse 18 says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so also by one man's obedience take note of this it didn't say many were made righteous it says many will be made righteous okay and that is why it's important that people make a conscious decision to accept christ it's important that people make a conscious decision to accept christ all right i'm going to read some of the things that i wrote down and then we'll continue (laughs) Many are made sinners automatically and many will be made righteous, but it's not automatically. It has to be accepted. Righteousness is a gift, but it has to be accepted. We need to be reborn because the first birth was spiritually defective. We inherited the sins of Adam simply by being born into his family and bloodline. In order for us to inherit the righteousness of Christ, we need to be reborn into his own family and bloodline. Hence... The word "born again," okay, born again. Uh, the word "born again" actually also means born from above or born from born of God. Okay, so this is why it is important for people to be born again because. Just uh, 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 we automatically inherited Adam's sin because we were born. We were in him, in his loins. So now we are literally being born again means you are changing family from Adam's family. Now you are changing family to Christ's family. So you will inherit of Christ's own bloodline, which is a righteous bloodline. Now there is something in, uh, in important here that uh, that that I'm going to I'm going to digress into a little bit, but I think it is important that we talk about it. When a man now now the, the fall was is remains the, the ultimate curse on humanity. The sin of Adam, the original sin, it means that every other curse, sickness, death, every other curse takes its root. And takes its legality from the fall of man now why am I saying this it means even generational curses take their legality from the fall of man the implication of this is once you become born again and you are in a new family you become disconnected from the soil that every other curse takes its roots in now I know this has been going on in the body of Christ for a very long time, but Hosea 4.6 is very clear that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh, If you have a million dollars in your account and you are not aware of it, it's not going to do you much good there's the whole thing going on about breaking generational curses, breaking generational curses. And the average church member in Africa, the average believer in Africa believes that being born again is not enough. There are still so many other things we need to do. We still need to break curses. We still need to engage some mysteries to do this and that, and that, and that, and that. Uh, Village people will not leave you alone until you deliberately confront your ancestors you know these things are not right the bible does not teach us this the bible does not teach us this i believe that the blood of jesus is enough i believe that the, the sacrifice that christ made paid on the cross is enough if the sacrifice is enough to cancel the curse that came with the fall i don't see why a curse that came with man cannot be canceled by that same sacrifice okay and and believer, deliverance ministries have taken that look i'm not saying that christians don't have issues i'm not saying that christians don't have issues but like you bet angel said the real deliverance happens when your ignorance is confronted look you, they can have demons cast out of a person multiple times even jesus was very clear he said if a devil is cast out okay and then he leaves and he comes back and finds the place empty why is the place empty Because although the devil was cast out, you didn't fill that person with something else. That person needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That person needs to be filled with knowledge. Otherwise, the devil will come again. So there are people that constantly need devils to be cast out of them and their life is not making any progress. Their life is not moving forward. Why? Because they remain ignorant. The Bible says that the heir, as long, is a, as, long as he's a child, deferr[ed] not from a slave, but remains subject to tutors and governors. The heir, as long as Galatians chapter 4 verse 1, the heir, as long as he's a child, nephews, inexperienced, immature, immature, ignorant, deferred not from a slave. So although you are the prince, you are the heir to the throne, you will live and act like somebody that is a bond servant because you don't know better. the word there are two major words used for salvation or save in the new testament one is soteria the other one is sozo both of them imply deliverance so if you are saved you have received the ultimate deliverance from anything if you can be delivered from the curse of god through the blood of jesus christ is it the curse of man that you will need you know and we need to teach people to walk in the newness of the life that Christ has given us instead of saying uh you know you need to fast 40 days so that you can break this curse you so if the person has ulcer and can't fast uncle so the person will remain under the curse yeah, and 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 there's so much of this going on again i am not i am not saying Yeah, that's true, Chogu. Uh, I think I've heard Bishop Wedeko say that a few times, that there's no mountain anywhere. You know, your greatest mountain is your ignorance. And that is the truth. Now, look, don't get me wrongly. There are people that need demons cast out of them. There are people that need the deliverance ministry. But the thing is, we should not... uh, Let me put it this way. It's It's like charity. You go out, you buy food stuff, and you give to people on the street so they eat it's great it's beautiful god expects us to do that but if you really want to help people empower them mentally empower them financially so that they can be lifted out of poverty handing out stuff does not lift anybody out from poverty okay so deliverance casting out devils from people and all of that it's like it's like handing out palliatives okay it's going to it's going to solve immediate problems and it's going to be okay for a while but if that person is not taught how to uh you know walk in the new le- newness of life i mean if they give you palliatives how many bags of rice can they give you it will finish one day if you are not taught how to overcome poverty you will just eat for a few weeks or a few months at most. At the end of the day, you will get back into that place. And that is what deliverance is. And uh, that, that, that's what rather deliverance, most of these deliverance ministries, that's what, that's what happens. And that's why people keep coming. So today you come, uh, you, get, you, you, you get an uncle killed. Okay, the uncle is dead. Great wonderful and then you come tomorrow it's an aunt that needs to get killed and, and so it, it's like the people that patronize these deliverance ministries they never get to a point of total and absolute freedom they it, it's like opiates it's like cocaine it's like heroin okay you take it and you feel good for a moment and then it's creating as you are feeling good it's creating a vacuum and the need for you to keep taking it and so when you get to most of these deliverance ministries you see large crowds but all of those people, you know, they, they behave like devils. They, 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 you, you will know that these people, a lot of them are not even born again. Okay, and we need to do better than that. Christianity is more than that. Christianity is better than that. Okay, so, so um, uh, we, we need to realize that when a person becomes born again, Every legality of the enemy against that person has been taken care of. We need to understand it. Jesus said, uh, rather, Paul said, Jesus, you know, blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us. So every legality that either the devil or a messenger of the devil can have over a believer is completely blotted out when we receive christ satan thrives on ignorance and 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 we need to we need to just be very conscious of that i mean think about it the whites when you look at the the kenneth higgins and the kenneth plants, they are not screaming uh deliverance this deliverance that deliverance this deliverance that why is it only in africa why is it only in africa africa is not the only continent with a history of idolatry every other continent out there the whites also had a history of idolatry as a matter of fact, the countries with the highest uh, uh, GDP at the moment, the countries that are considered to be the, the best countries in the world when it comes to standard of living are the, the, the likes of Norway, Denmark, Sweden. Okay, These are Scandinavian countries. Okay, These people used to worship Odin. They used to worship Thor. They used to worship Freya. They used to worship Floki. They used to do human sacrifices. There is no idolatry that we have done in Africa that the Scandinavians did not do. There's no idolatry that we are doing in Africa that the, the Celts and the Welsh and the Britons did not do. So, so why are we the only ones that keep talking about ancestral curses? Why? Why are we the only ones that keep talking about ancestral curses? Ancestors that died, God knows how long ago. Okay, so it is a problem of ignorance. It's not because the curses are really potent. We, our ignorance makes those curses potent. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. Verses 3-4 to four, It says Or oh, do you not know That as many of us As were baptized into Christ Jesus Were baptized into his death Therefore we were buried with him Through baptism unto death That just as Christ was raised from the dead By the glory of the Father Even so we also should walk In the newness of life So this scripture is saying And another one that is similar to it Is Galatians chapter 2-20 verse 20, Where Paul said I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless um, I live But not I But the life that I now live uh, I live by the faith of the son of god okay uh, what paul is teaching us is we were in christ when christ was crucified we were in christ when christ died we were in christ when christ was buried and we were in christ when christ was resurrected so it means that legally we have fulfilled uh, just as christ was paying the price we were in him when he was paying the price so the truth is legally satan has nothing on us Satan has nothing on us. We don't owe him anything because we were in Christ when all of this, all of this was being paid. Just the same way the Bible says we were in Adam when Adam sinned. The same way we were in Christ when the price was being paid. Please walk in that consciousness. Walk in that consciousness. So, the uh, I, I was saying earlier, why did we? Why did Christ have to die? And I was talking about. You know, the old man, the, the nature of sin and, and all of that. So the thing is, there is a new man and there is an old man. When we talk about righteousness, when we talk about sin, when we talk about man, we need to understand that there, there are always two sides to it. There's the old man and there's a the new man. The old man has the nature of sin. So even though the people under the old covenant did righteous acts, it did not change their nature. They still had the nature of sin. That is why they all went to hell. When I say hell, not the torment part, okay? There there was a compartment where the righteous people stayed. And it's the same way. When somebody becomes a new man, when somebody becomes born again, the person has the nature of righteousness. But that person can still do bad stuff. Just like somebody with a sin nature could still do good stuff. But the things you do, do not change your nature okay let's just hang it there a bit okay what i'm trying to say is this just the same way even though the guys under the old covenant did a lot of good stuff but it didn't change their nature their sin nature the same way somebody that has been renewed can do bad stuff but it does not change your nature the nature of righteousness okay but just hang in there because we're going to balance this So I wrote this down that the sin nature is the primary reason why people go to hell. Just like the righteous nature is the primary reason people go to heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 3 that unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I said the sin nature was so strong that even Old Testament saints still went to hell. There is the sin nature and their acts of sin there is the righteousness nature and their acts of righteousness our actions cannot alter our nature but our nature should influence our actions i'll say that again our actions cannot alter our nature but it is expected that our nature influence our actions now when we talk about sin what is sin? The Bible says that sin is a transgression of the law. But there are three major categories of sin for a believer. The first one is unbelief. Unbelief is the primary sin of, uh, of the world. Uh, in, in John chapter 16 and verse 8 to 11. Let's read it very quickly. John chapter 16 verse 8 to 11. It says, and when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin, because they do not believe me. So that is the primary sin of the world, because they do not believe in Jesus Christ. But then we go further. So the the primary sin is unbelief, all right? Number two, we're, we're trying to define sin. Number two, anything done outside of love is sin. In John chapter thirteen, in John chapter thirteen, uh, verses thirty-three and thirty-four, or thirty-four and thirty-five, rather, Jesus said, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this will." all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another okay and you know entire chapters in the book of first john dedicated to walking in love first uh, john chapter 3 verse 14 says that uh, by uh, It said, we know that we have passed from darkness to light because we love the brethren. Okay? Uh, <laughs> so, so the way we know that we have moved from darkness to light is by walking in love. So anything that is done outside of love is breaking this commandment. This is the only commandment that Jesus gave to the church for us to walk in love. So anything done outside of love is sin. The Bible says that uh, uh, love walketh no ill to his neighbor. And when you look at all the commandments in the Old Testament, they were all summarized in walking in love towards somebody. So number one, I said sin is unbelief. Number two, I said sin is walking out of love. Number three, the Bible says in Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14 and verse 23 it says but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not done from faith is sin so there is the problem of the general unbelief okay of the unbelievers there is a problem of not walking in love And then there is a problem of doing things outside of faith. Now, why is this important? This scripture is talking about eating. No, eating. If you eat and you do it outside of faith, it is sin. Now, I, I like to put it this way. If you pray and it's outside of faith, it is sin. If you fast and it's outside of faith, it is sin. If you give and it's outside of faith, it is sin. The Bible is very clear about it. Anything, whatever is not from faith is sin. And then finally, uh, let's look at James chapter 4 and verse 17. James chapter 4 and verse 17. It says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So it is not every sin that is a sin of commission. Some sins are sins of omission. So, for instance, mm, uh, if God says, give 5,000 to this person and you don't, it is sin. Okay, so as much as there are generic sins, there are specific sins. Okay, there are general sins like don't murder, don't commit adultery. You know, uh, there there are general sins like that, you know, don't lie, things like that. These are general sins, but there are also specific sins. For instance, Samson was told, do not cut your hair. Don't cut your hair. Don't cut the locks on your hair. Samson fornicated, Samson drank alcohol. Things that Nazarites were not supposed to do. He did not lose the anointing. But the moment the hair was cut, he lost it. Lot and his family, they were told, don't look back. Don't look at Sodom. Just keep going. The wife turned and she turned into a pillar of salt. Okay. So as much as there are general sins, there are also specific sins, uh, you know, in everybody's life. You know, it could be a sin of commission. It could be a sin of omission. It could be God told you to do something and you did not do it. It is a sin. Uh, Kenneth Hagin once said that he pastored a church and because he had seen many pastors abuse the prosperity message, he did not teach them about prosperity. And when uh, when, when he left the church, God told him, you prevented my people from prospering and you are going to pay for it okay he omitted the the message of prosperity because of his own ego and god told him i'm going to hold you responsible for it so there are many things that we do some of them are peculiar instructions that we may have disobeyed so when we talk about sin sin is actually very broad i will get to why i am talking about all of this very soon okay because there are two very dangerous extremes there are two very dangerous extremes There is the extreme that believes that every time we sin, we are on the path to hell. So you sin, you are going to hell. Um, God wants complete holiness. Look, let's, let's be honest. Each and every one of us have enough sin in our lives to take us to hell. The Bible says, if God will regard iniquity, who will stand? Psalm 103 from verse 9 to 10 says that God has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. If God is going to start analyzing everything. I mean, think about it, for instance. I was having a conversation with somebody recently, okay? And we're saying... How many of us drive here? I'm sure most of us drive and I'm sure that at one point or the other, we have broken a traffic rule right but first what romans chapter 13 says let every man be subject to higher powers because there is no power but of god and the constituted authorities it was god that put them there so if you disobey the constituted authorities you are inadvertently disobeying god that makes it a sin so if you break a government law you have sinned against god technically that's a government law that is not in opposition to god obviously uh, when it comes to a place where you have to choose, of course, God expects you to choose God over the government. But yeah, that's the point. We all do funny things every day. And so if God is going to start, uh, I mean, in, in, in Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says that murderers and adulterers and, 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 and uh, idolaters and the fearful will have their place in the lake of fire. And I continue to ask people, when was the last time you repented of the sin of fear? Do we even remember that fear is a sin? you know so so that extreme is really dangerous and if we're going to go based on that, it means nobody is going to make heaven. as a matter of fact, the way church people go about it, it's like the people under the old covenant had a better chance of making heaven than we do, but that is wrong. and then there is the other dangerous extreme that says once you are born again it does not matter what you do. You can go on, kill people, live a reckless life, do whatever you like. And as long as you have once received Christ, you can never be lost. And and then I'll get to some of the scriptures that they they use. Uh, John John chapter... let's, Let's take a look at it very quickly. John chapter... Let's look at some of the scriptures they use. John chapter 10 verses 28 to 29. John 10, 28 to 29. It says, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. For my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand i and my father are one so people use this scripture to imply that once you receive eternal life it can never be lost okay all right fair enough we're going to look at a few other scriptures to rebut this because um look let me let the bible do the talking let's start from hebrews chapter 6 So this scripture is saying that it is impossible for a particular category of persons to Repent or to be renewed. It says it's it says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. The, the, the word enlightened there is for teaso, it has to do with uh, you know a deep level of understanding, and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. It says it is impossible. Let's look at the same Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 29. He says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, the word knowledge there is epignosis. So it's actually talking about a full and complete knowledge okay, of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. If we sin willfully after we have received a complete knowledge of the truth. So this is talking about another category of persons. Now, uh, in in 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5, uh, I think from verse 16, 1 John chapter 5 from verse 16, it says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life. For those who commit sin not leading to death, there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. So here, the Bible clearly categorizes it that, look, there are some sins that, they are sins, but they do not have eternal consequences in that light. But they are sins that lead to death. There are sins that lead to death. Um. hmm in luke chapter 12 let's look at luke chapter 12 from verse 46 it's it's the parable of a master and his servants it says and the master the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers so this servant was a believer okay this servant was a believer (laughs) <laughs> okay, Kola is saying, I think you finally mentioned the scripture that confirms to me not all sins are the same terms of the eternal impact. Yeah, okay. I I, I released the video some, I think a week ago. It's every sin equal in the eyes of God. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. Okay, and and then uh, uh, Luke twelve forty six. It says that the master shall cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. It means this guy was not an unbeliever and then verse 47 says and the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few for everyone to whom much is given from him much will be required and to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more okay so this is telling us that a believer can be can, can, can be put where unbelievers will be And this is also telling us that there will be varying levels of punishment. The person that knew his master's will and did not do it will receive more stripes than the person that sinned ignorantly. Okay, and then it goes on to tell us that for whom, to whom much is given, much is also required. Look, Jesus did not die on the cross so that we can do whatever we like. The truth is the standard is higher for us under the new covenant than the old covenant that's why when people say well Elisha did this david did this so it's okay it's nonsense because the standard is higher for us under the old covenant they had laws without ability their their nature was contrary to the law that was given to them under the new covenant god has given us the supernatural ability to keep those laws So much has been given to us. Therefore, God requires more from us. He requires a higher standard from us. So when people say, well, I'm born again, I can go ahead and do whatever I like. That is not scriptural, friends. That is not scriptural. Uh, Recently, I was talking with a very senior friend in South Africa. And he was telling me how a... A gay philosopher was arguing with him that once saved forever saved as long as he does not renounce jesus he can go around and and gay around and do whatever he likes and you know and nothing is going to happen and i i i, I sent him some scriptures i said that guy is playing a very 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 dangerous game sin is not sin ladies and gentlemen sin is not sin sin is not sin there are certain sins that uh, Paul, uh, there are certain things that are sort of a part of our nature there are certain things that are even contrary to nature god does not weigh them the same way Mm-mm. it doesn't homosexuality is a very serious sin in the eyes of god it's a very serious sin don't say uh look i'm not saying we should judge gay people that's not what i'm saying like i said earlier Each and every one of us have enough sin in our lives to take us to hell. But for the grace and the mercy of God, okay. But but we can't continually and consciously, okay, uh, go against things that the Bible is clear that these things are contrary to, to to nature or contrary to the systems of God and uh, and expect that there will not be consequences the bible is clear that the wages of sin is death so 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 like i said god expects our nature to affect our uh, to to have an influence uh on 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 the things that we do uh the children of israel were not delivered from egypt because they had good behavior they were not delivered from egypt because they were good people they were delivered from egypt because god is good but once god delivered them from egypt god expected certain adjustments from them the same way god is not good to us because we are good god is good to us because he is good but he expects that when he shows us his goodness we should make certain adjustments in our behavior in uh, i think romans chapter 2 and verse 4 it says that the the let's read it it says that the the goodness of God leads to repentance. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, Or oh, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? So when God shows us his goodness, uh, he expects us to repay that goodness by, by acting or not acting in, in certain ways. Okay? So, Jesus came to perfect the law. He came to perfect the law that we could not keep. Okay? Uh, and, And he gave us the ability to be able to keep those commandments. And so we have an advantage over the Old Testament saints in the sense that we have a supernatural ability. For instance, all through the Old Testament people were commanded to love their neighbor as themselves, even though their nature was contrary to it. But under the New Covenant, now the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 5, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which was given to us. So every believer can and should love. It is in our nature. We are love children of a love God. So love love is our nature so we cannot we we can't we do not have an excuse not to love The, the the people under the old covenant even though they had an excuse because their nature was contrary to God's laws they still had to try to fulfill those laws in the flesh but now we have supernatural ability to fulfill God's laws you know in our spirit so God expects that since we have a righteous nature, we should do works of righteousness. The Bible says in the book of uh, uh, Ephesians that we are his workmanship created unto good works. So God expects good works. Yes, it is not the law that justifies. But after we have been justified, God expects us to bear fruits of righteousness. Okay. And uh, I'm going to read some scriptures in closing. there are two fundamental things we need to understand when it comes to salvation and staying saved the the first thing is that faith must always be supported with actions corresponding actions let's look at james chapter 2 let's look at james chapter 2 and verse 14 as we try to round up james chapter 2 and verse 14 it says what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can faith save him If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, like most pastors do today, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He didn't say, I'll show you my faith with my works. He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, you will know what I believe in by the things that I do. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So believing that there is God does not make you different from the demons. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? likewise was not rehab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out another way for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead so it's not enough to say i believe in jesus i believe in this and i believe in that god expects corresponding actions and i know people have used this to preach some other kinds of faith message but this is actually talking about faith as in faith in god okay this scripture is saying that faith without corresponding actions is dead don't say you believe in jesus don't say you believe in god if you are not living your life according to the ordinances and the commandments of god Secondly, so the first one I said, faith must always be supported by works. The second thing we need to understand is confession alone is not enough. I have heard people say that un- until you, you know, renounce Jesus with your mouth, your salvation remains intact. Until you renounce Jesus with your mouth, your salvation does not remain intact. Let's look at Mark chapter seven, verses six and seven. Jesus answered and said to them, "Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? As it is written, these people." honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain they worship me teaching us doctrines the commandments of men okay these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far away from me so there are people that are confessing jesus on a daily basis but their hearts are far away from him how do we know that their hearts are far away from him because of their actions because james was very clear if you really have faith we should see it in your works what am I saying in conclusion? Faith should produce good works. Uh, if the, uh, John was clear that he that is born of God in John chapter 3, it says, he that is born of God cannot sin. What that scripture actually means is, will not, uh, will not live habitually in sin. I think we should read it in conclusion. 1 John chapter 3. From verse 4, it says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, let me just explain this very quickly. Whoever abides in him does not sin. It is not saying anybody that is born again does not sin. It says whoever abides. To abide means to dwell continually. And if we are going to be honest, every time that we sin, it is when we sort of disconnect from god you know uh, the bible says that if we walk in the spirit we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh so it's very simple if you are fulfilling the lust of the flesh is because you are not walking in the spirit if you are walking in the spirit you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh okay so that's what this scripture is saying it says whoever abides remains in him does not sin whoever sins has, has neither seen him nor known him The word sin there uh, is horao, which means uh, to comprehend. Okay, it's talking about a deeper level of knowledge and understanding of God. So basically, this scripture is saying that if, if you are sinning, you are ignorant about certain things about God. And it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, that's God, is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Now, this scripture is saying, whoever is born of God does not have the nature of sin. Therefore cannot and should not make a habitual practice of sin this scripture is not saying whoever is born of god cannot do something wrong because paul in romans chapter 6 was very clear even as an apostle he said things that he wants to do he you know he found he, he, he found out that he wasn't doing them and things that he did not want to do was doing those things and he he said who will deliver me from this body of sin and then he goes ahead to say that you know when he sins it is not really him doing it but it is sin working through his members let's uh, let, let's let me see if i can find it okay yeah romans chapter 7 from verse 14, I think that'll be the last scripture we'll read tonight. I'll read from the New Living Translation. It says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can you see this? <laughs> I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law. Lo- uh, This shows that I agreed that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Let's continue. I have discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And then Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, This is very important, and this is where the difference is. Paul is saying here that although I do wrong things, in my heart I want to do the right thing. That is one category of persons. But there are other persons on another category that have made the wrong thing the right thing. I hope we get the difference. So, Mr. A tells a lie, he knows it is wrong. And he feels bad about lying, even though sometimes he just can't help it, right? But Mr. B, on the other hand, tells lies and tries to justify them, even using scriptures. At this point, you know that Mr. B is aligning with his flesh and has decided to completely ignore the laws of God. And this is where the dividing line is. When we get to that point where we no longer feel bad about the evil that we do, ladies and gentlemen, you are losing your salvation, to put it mildly. You are losing your salvation. But as long as in our hearts we still have the desire to do the right thing, as long as in our hearts, We still know that this is right and this is wrong, even though our flesh angles towards the wrong every now and then. The truth is that seed of God in our heart, that is the proof that that God that is in our heart continues to remind us that this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. That is proof that you still have the spirit of God in you. And the Bible says that this spirit of God that we have in us is the seal of our redemption. The day, the moment, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens by consistently ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit and consistently trying to justify what is wrong. Uh, just like James said, that our faith is is revealed and manifested by our works. If your work is consistently tilting towards evil, it shows that you are really not putting your faith in God. It shows that you really don't have faith in God. Because if you have faith in God, there will be a desire in you to do what is right. But if there is no inherent desire to do what is right, if we accept and embrace what God clearly says is wrong, ladies and gentlemen, you have lost your salvation. It's as simple as that. Once saved, forever saved is not true. It's not scriptural. You will not find scriptures to back it up. You may twist one or two, like some of the ones that I showed you, where it says nobody can pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said nobody can pluck them out of my hand. That is true. He didn't say they can't walk away if they want to. Just the same way people make a decision to accept God, to accept Christ and to walk with God, people can make a decision to neglect christ so people can renounce christ and people both both by their words and by their actions if you consistently go against the laws of christ jesus said if you love me keep my commandments if you consistently go against the laws of christ you have renounced christ by your actions it's as simple as that if you tell somebody i love you 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 and every time you are hurting the person sooner or later the person is going to think and say man um what this person is saying does not correspond with the actions and what that person is going to believe about you is going to be based on the actions that the person receives from you not based on the words that you say so please if you see anybody saying that you know uh until they use their mouths to renounce christ they can never lose their salvation please tell them that they are they are playing a very very dangerous game because uh our our actions need to our our actions need to correspond with with our faith or what we say that we believe in okay and that is what really counts at the end of the day not just our confession you know um so and that is why uh for the gay community is very dangerous because uh this is a very habitual thing and you are trying to normalize it and that is where the problem is. That, that is where the problem really, really, really is uh, for, for the gay community. When people try to normalize sin and uh, uh, it's a dangerous place to be. So please... Uh, We all err every now and then We all falter every now and then That does not make you lose your salvation Because you put a foot wrong Or because you did something wrong Okay, so remember I talked about two extremes Uh, Every time you sin It does not put you on the path to hell That is not true Um, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but at the same time uh, It doesn't mean that because you are born again You can go ahead and live recklessly And do whatever you like And there will be no consequences There will be consequences because God expects a lot more from us, because more has been given to us. Okay, sorry, let me read this comment. The entire said, I once listened to Apostle Joshua Selman's message, and he said, A pastor means he's born again came to him for counsel that his ministry and life at large isn't going well for him, and then he prayed prophesied and told him what to do and then bam everything turned around so my question is why will such happen to him since he's born again the fact that you are born again doesn't mean you cannot be ignorant the fact that you're a pastor or a bishop does not mean you cannot be ignorant and that's the reality and like i said some people need handouts some people need uh immediate spiritual palliatives Okay, so, so for instance, somebody comes to you and the person is being oppressed by a devil. Although you know that this devil is striving on this person's ignorance, you are not going to say, okay, you know what, go and, and learn more. You know, once you learn more, the devil will leave you. When you know the devil is already destroying the person's life. So what you need to do at that point in time, is to minister deliverance to that person. Get rid of the devil. And then you need to follow it up by telling the person, do this, do this, no this, no this, no this, no this. This devil is not supposed to have access to your life. But the problem is most times we just cast the devil out and we let the people go. Okay, like I said, I am not saying that there are not people that need deliverance. There are people that when they come, they, they need emergency intervention. They need it okay it's not time for you to start uh, questioning their prayer life or their study life or their depth in 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 the new creation realities no it's not time for that they are under oppression you need to get rid of the oppressor you need to set that person free instantly and then you can now teach the person how to make sure that that does not happen again but the problem we are having is that once these devils are cast out because devils are being cast out every day but these people are not being taught how to fortify themselves and they are not being told that you know the reason this devil gained access to you is because of ignorance as a believer look for unbelievers there are so many other reasons that devils can gain access to them it could be it could be a covenant it could be disobedience it could be so many other things but for believers primarily primarily for believers it is ignorance yes there's a way you can be disobedient also as a believer and you will open a legal um you know a legal loophole for for the devil to exploit okay but what i'm saying is as a believer it is your choice if satan is going to oppress you or not whether you realize it or not it is your choice if you are go- if satan is going to oppress you or not